Welcome to the Theatrical Mustang Podcast. I'm your host, Katie Woodzik. This is episode 40 with Jennifer Warwick. Jennifer is celebrating the revised edition of Things I Want to Punch in the Face, which is a fantastic book of comedic essays about things that chop her hide. And you're going to want to mark on your calendars, Seattle folks, September 24th, uh, 7 p.m. at Queen Anne Books. There's going to be a reading, a punch party. There's going to be punch. Jennifer's going to read. I'm going to read about something that chaps my hide. You'll just have to show up to see what that is. You can order the book through your favorite independent bookseller through IndieBound, and we'll have the link for that in the episode description, as well as links to Jennifer's website, the business of books, and the original blog of Things I Want to Punch in the Face. So this was a really fun episode to record. I feel like I was goofier and more relaxed than I usually am in interviews, which speaks to Jennifer's charming and disarming nature. So please enjoy episode 40 with Jennifer Warwick, where we talk about things I want to punch in the face. excited to welcome one of my favorite people, Jennifer Warwick, to the podcast. Welcome. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. I'm going to tell you the story of the first time I met you. The first time I saw you. It's not the first time I met you. It was at Lit Crawl, the first Lit Crawl, and it was a humorous women. Your cat is is joining to the podcast, mm-hmm. adding to the landscape of mm-hmm. the audio here. Um, and it was, it, you were reading one of your essays things that you want to punch in the face and it was the namaste mm-hmm. one and I was like who is this writer where has she been all my life and why is she so angry I just loved it <laughs> I thought it was I thought it was brilliant the namaste the line that I think I remember is the it's supposed to mean the line the light within you recognizes the light within me recognizes the light within you but when I hear you say that I want to do violent things to you. Yeah. I'm paraphrasing. Beat you with a sustainable rain stick or something like that. (laughs) Yeah. Um, We're going to talk about the re-release, the updated version of Things I Want to Punch in the Face, which is just a brilliant book, but I just interrupted you right then. What were you going to say? I don't even know. I'm just going with it. Um, Yes, it's new and improved. There's all sorts of new content in the book. (laughs) And we cut out some things that were starting to seem a little dated, um, PT cruisers, probably uh, things like that. I like um, the idea that you had to update the thing, the things to punch it, in the face. Well, some it's never ended. Yeah, it's just not as relevant anymore to punch PT cruisers. What other things were left by the wayside that can only be found in the first edition? Oh, there were some things that just kind of gave way to things that might have been more funny. You know, the classics are still in there. Um, celebrity baby names. Well, <laughs> Foodies, which is such a ripe topic here in Seattle, because I'm on board with like the elimination diets and and being gluten free. We just had some gluten free crackers. We, did. <laughs> we just talk, I love that we we talked for about two hours yes. before we started recording, and yeah. so we're really warm and <laughs> quick witted right now. We are ready to roll. We're ready. Um, yeah. So uh, you know. I could talk about foodies all day, but the thing that's so great about this book is that you start talking about things and, you know, people are like, oh, I, you know, I'm 
a nice person. I don't really want to punch anything. I'm not that angry. And then you start talking and it's like pulling that thread. And they suddenly, like the foodies one, for example, I was doing a reading and one person came up to me and they said, you know what I hate is when, you know, I'm a food writer and, you know, I'm invited to a potluck and they ask me to like bring the main dish and somebody else brings like a half eaten tray of brownies. Like, how is that fair? (laughs) And somebody else said, you know what I hate about potlucks? You know, so it's like moving on from foodies to potlucks now. You know what I hate is when people like bring all the ingredients and start making the dish in the kitchen. It's a potluck. You're supposed to bring the dish, you know, already made. Um, So it's like a book that brings people together strangely. Um, And so the new book has some really uh, fun things that I think seem very on point right now. Um, (laughs) Mixologists and lumbersexuals, Mm -hmm. sometimes Mm -hmm. the same person. They often wear a vest, you know. And and these all come out of my own experience. Like my friend and I were at a bar here in Seattle and we ordered Tangeray and tonics, which you think that you can get at most places. Didn't have Tangeray. That's fine. I can deal with the artisan, you know, locally made gin. I'm down with that. But the waitress came back like 10 minutes later and she's like, oh, good news. You know, our waiter or our um, mixologist is trying (laughs) out this new tonic that's made out of Peruvian tree bark. (laughs) and the drink was kind of like a dusky peachy brown color and I tasted it and it tasted vaguely like cinnamon apple and my friend was like and there's no fizz like that's the point of the tonic you know so it it became a completely different drink and we had to send them back and it's like just you know some things are classic for a reason you know absolutely so that you know these things kind of crop up out of your own experience and there's you know no stop um to the kind of traffic things you want to punch in the face on a daily basis absolutely what what are some of your peeves traffic wise oh gosh well you know have you ever heard of the zipper theory like it's like the merging of people onto i-5 you know, they should be kind of like one after the other, like let one person in. Right. You know, and then some people just completely disregard that on both sides. You know, some like scoot right up to the front of the line. Other people just won't let you in. They cock block the lane completely. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people who don't use their turn signals and they're, they're in front of you. One of the big ones is the overly polite motorist. Um, you know, you get the four or five way stop here in Seattle. Yes. And it's like. They don't remember the rule of like who's supposed to go and instead they just are like, no, you go, no, you go, no, you go. <laughs> and it becomes this like standoff, which was a Portlandia skit, which right. w- which happened after I punched that, by the way. Um, you know, and, and the <laughs> other thing I have is like if somebody is waiting to cross the street, you know, and they're in the middle of a block, they're just kind of waiting for traffic to go so they can run across the street and a car stops in the mi- mid street to let them pass. They don't think about the car behind him, them who, you know, might not be expecting them to stop mid-street and they could get rear-ended, you know. So those kind of people are a menace to society with the, these great intentions of being super polite. Or I hate the opposite side of that when you're at a four-way stop and it's not your turn and someone angrily motions as though you should go and yeah. you should know that you should go. Or when you're at a red light and you're turning right and someone honks because you're not turning right on red fast enough. 
hate both of those things. See, much. see how this brings people together. It brings people together. Yeah. We're bonding yeah, even more. It's fantastic. <laughs> Doesn't it make you happy to kind of vent though? I love. This is one of my favorite things. Is being catty is one of my favorite things in the world. It's an underrated delight, isn't it? Oh my gosh, <laughs> it's. And I feel that's that's why we like shows like. What are some of the shows? We, oh. That's this is the show that I was thinking of right now. It's always sunny in Philadelphia, right? Because mm-hmm. they're these brilliantly horrible people, malcontents, mm-hmm. and we just get so polite as a society, at least to people's faces, right? Where we're very polite, and then afterwards we can be like, "Oh my God, do you believe what she just said?" And these people are being rude to people to their faces, which I think there's that bit of wanting to live vicariously through those. Conversation. There's also the thing, like, I grew up where we never actually said anything real to each other. Like, my family didn't talk about anything real. And so, you know, like, when my dad got remarried to um, this lovely woman, she was very matter-of-fact and straightforward, and I didn't know what to do with it. I thought she was being mean initially when I first met her. I, You know, I probably had my own issues about my dad getting remarried. I was an angry (coughs) 14-year-old. I wore a brown sweater to their wedding in protest. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But we get get her along great now. And I so appreciate that she is always just very matter of fact about stuff. You know, you don't have to assign all this pejorative, you know, emotionality to it, you know, but I I came to it like, why is she saying that? So frankly to me, you know, and that would be a little refreshing here in Seattle, but I think it probably is perceived as somebody being mean. Right. You know. I'm from the Midwest. You're, are you from yeah, the Midwest Michigan. as well? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Wisconsin. I think there's something about holla. being raised. Holla! <laughs> um, I think there's something about being raised as a young woman in the Midwest where it's even, there's even more of that, um, just that imperative to be docile, mm-hmm. even more so than, because I think a lot of girls get that growing up, but I think especially in the Midwest, there's that Minnesota nice, that Midwestern, you know, we have to have a happy face all the time. And it's like kind of the don't make waves thing. Right. Too. Don't stand out too much. Don't be too controversial. Don't aspire to anything super great, you know. And I just didn't accept that back then. Yeah. Um, I was like, I am not planning on staying here. Like, I, <laughs> I think there's a great big world out there. And I don't know how I'm going to get there. But it's going to happen, you know. Um, and I, there's a lot of people who I went to school with who have never been west of the Mississippi and it just kind of boggles the mind. And until a few years ago, some family members didn't have a passport because why would you go anywhere else? You got everything you need in America. America. (laughs) America. So this book, did this book start originally as a blog? It did. Yes. So where, what was that? What was that decision-making point where you're like, man, i got to start a blog, and it's got to be about all the stuff that pisses me off? Well, I was very angry back then. It wasn't I wasn't bringing people together with my anger. <laughs> I was splintering myself, probably. Um, I was having a really hard time. I had, um, I've ha- I had like, a, a unexpected breakup with, like, a lumbersexual musician electrician. And I took it really hard for some reason, even though the relationship wasn't that developed. I, I Something about it, like one more of these relationships just kind of, right. it was like the, the straw relationship. 
And then I had to put my um, cat to sleep, not the one who's sleeping here, but, <laughs> you know, uh, my previous cat. Um, and then a book I had just turned the manuscript in for had been canceled because this was back in 2009 when everybody was cutting all their budgets because of the recession. Right. And then I had surgery, and this all happened within eight days. And so oh I was a mess um, living in a tiny apartment in Wallingford and watching a lot of American Idol and Gilmore Girls um, <laughs> reruns and stuff. And I was just angry all the time. And I, I cried for like 31 days. Like I came back from euthanizing my cat. I'd already been crying for a couple of days because of the guy. And I looked in the mirror, and I mean, this is going to be a great scene in a book someday but I looked in the mirror and my eyelashes were white and I had that moment like oh my god is this like where your hair turns gray overnight you know like I'm like this is a drama moment like what's going on it was really freaky because I hadn't looked at myself in a day or so and what had happened was all the salt from my tears had like crusted onto my eyelashes so my eyelashes looked white and um so I was in a bad way and you know like I when I'm in a bad way, I can't help but also be sarcastic and caustic and things. And I was getting angry over the slightest little thing when you're, you know, stressed or grieving or whatever, like everything sets is on your last nerve. Right. So I had that idea like, oh my God, the light bulb went off when I was watching crap TV, probably like Rock of Love at the time. Oh my God. <laughs> With Brett yes. Michaels. Yes. Rock of Love bus, maybe it was. That was a new low in my television watching habits, which have been pretty low. Um, so yeah, my first post I think was the waiters who top off your coffee without asking, which right. I drink decaf when I do drink coffee and you get it to that perfect like biosphere in the cup with like the temperature is right. You have the right amount of cream and sweetener and everything. And they just come and slosh in regular coffee. And now I drink tea, but I put like cream in my tea. So it looks like coffee and they still come over and, they're trying to be nice, but they didn't ask, and you just ruined my day and my cup of coffee. So that kind of kicked things off, and I just it gave me so much pleasure. I was writing like a post Monday through Friday for like a few years, like there, wow. and I, I still have a huge laundry list of things that are evergreen that I have not punched yet. You know? I like I like that action verb of I'm not going to write about them. I'm going to punch them. Mm-hmm. And so at what point did you decide, okay, I have enough of these that I want to turn them into a book? Um, after a couple, I kind of was in the closet about it with my agent for a while. I was like, I'd been writing like craft books. One of my previous books was The Prairie Girl's Guide to Life, which was 50 Skills to Be the Ultimate Pioneer Woman. And while all my books have a element of humor, like I hadn't really gone down the dark the dark path with it. And so I thought she's going to think this is kind of like a, a weird left turn. And she was so into it. You know, she was like, this is totally you. And uh, you know, let's put together a proposal. I think you have enough together work on growing your audience. Cause that is something that publishers look at and having been in publishing and published a lot of books before. And I'm sure we'll talk about, you know, that too. Um, you know, I, I, I know the, um, you know, how books are assessed in a publishing house. Right. And one of the things they do is they, you know, Google you to see what your digital footprint is. And if you have a blog you want to turn into a book, they're going to see how many followers you have, how many comments are on the post, that sort of thing. So I really did work on, I built this really 
solid hardcore community but it, the numbers were not setting the world on fire it wasn't like hundreds of thousands of of followers so we put together a proposal and we got very close with a publisher and they ultimately decided not to publish it so I kind of like just kept doing it because I loved it and then in a um, social media success story um, I posted it was the shoeless households post that got me a book deal. Um, I, you know, the people who kind of ask you to take off your shoes, shoes when you when walk you in the house. the house. Yeah. You know, I get it if you have kids or whatever, but I always think back to that sex in the city episode where Carrie has her shoes stolen shoes and then stolen. she makes a registry. Tatum, Tatum O'Neill. Yes. She makes a registry just for the shoes and just Tatum O'Neill has to get them. Yes. Yeah. That's the only thing on her registry. Um, so I wrote that in, um, one of my Facebook friends who um, is a publisher of like really fun, like gift products in Los Angeles reposted it. And one of her friends saw it and contacted me and said, Hey, have you ever thought about writing a book? Because she has a publishing company in LA, a little small publishing company. And I'm like, why yes. And here's the proposal. <laughs> I had it all ready to go. So, um, you know, it, again, the financial deal was not setting the world on fire, but I already had, the content really so it was very easy to pull together we had a like a a six-week deadline or something so it was just a matter of picking the posts out whittling it down so there was a good mix in there adding like punch ratings and a little factoid for each one and that's how the first book came together um and yeah it happened because of facebook and i had everything ready to go so it was kind of like a dream collaboration for both of us I love that. That's yeah. an amazing story. Yeah. And I've worked with larger publishers too, but this was really great because they were so scrappy. Um, we set up a lot of publicity like here in the Northwest, um, events at like booksellers conferences, as well as um, I was going to Book Expo America in New York, which is the big national conference already. And so she arranged to have an autographing session there, which they have this section in the back of the conference hall at Javits with like, I don't know, like 20 different, um, autographing sessions. And they're, they're like every half hour or every 45 minutes. And it could be anybody. It could be like Elizabeth George or somebody with a new book or, you know, um, somebody, you know, some person who has a reality TV show, you know, with their book out. So during my slot, it was like bizarre because my, the title is so great that everybody was lined up in my line. Like we took photos of the line. My agent was helping like get the books ready. You know, we ran out of books really quickly. Um, and then I did a whole thing in Los Angeles and I stayed at my publisher's house in Pasadena yeah. and borrowed her daughter's car. Her daughter mm -hmm. was away at college. So, you know, we were kind of bootstrapping the whole thing and we did um, events at a comedy club, a video store, um, and I did some media and I went to a, another booksellers convention where all the featured authors had to, you know, the publishers had to pay to have them there, but we kind of got around that by having me MC the event. Uh -huh. <laughs> so I was kind of a featured author, but I was working for my lunch there. And that was great because we were, I was on a, in a group with like 
Dan- Daniel Handler, Lemony Snicket. He was one of the featured authors. Nice. And then this amazing like pop-up artist who had this Star Wars pop-up book that was coming out. And so I got to meet all the... And then some amazing novelists and stuff. So I was kind of grouped in with them and I had to introduce them and make some jokes. And that was terrifying. <laughs> you know, you're talking to all these booksellers and you're like, well... If you make jokes about Amazon, that's always going to go over well. And I, I went to um, my local bookstore in Valor's Secret Garden, and I asked them, like, what are your peeves for, you know, just in general? And it's like, oh, when people come in and take, like, photos of the book, and then they order it off Amazon, you know? Oh, God. Or yeah. there was a bakery next door. They come in with their free piece of bread that's dipped in butter, and then they start picking up the books. Um, so I got some kind of funny inside things that annoy booksellers so I kind of peppered my talk with like the punch in the face bookseller edition you know so that's a long rambling response no I, I love it why. I love it so what was the reception so you got this scrappy publisher this well a small publisher who is super passionate about it you're kind of bootstrappy about getting it out there and then what was the response about having this out in the world really great like urban outfitters picked up thousands of copies which what? is like the exact right audience for it so right. that was right. a super thing and then um we had interest from two production companies to develop a tv show based out of it oh my god and we ultimately um i'm probably going to name drop here i don't know if that's okay or not but oh, um, please do <laughs> um we were working with dennis leary's production company <gasps> to develop a sitcom and Carol Leifer, who's like this amazing stand-up comic, she's reputedly like the um, inspiration for Elaine on Seinfeld, and she's also a television showrunner um, and has developed several TV shows. She just came out with a memoir, too. Um, it's a very funny title, I can't remember. But um, she was like going to be the showrunner for it. She flew up to Seattle for the day and spent the day with me talking about the book and getting stuck in traffic with me. I took her to the gum wall. I don't know if that was a good idea or not. <laughs> if I felt, for whatever reason, I thought it was really important that day in that moment to take her to the gum wall in Seattle. Like, we have edge. See, we have a gum wall. I don't know. I don't know what I was thinking. Um, but she had this whole concept for a um, show that was going to be like, this girl just graduates from college and she like aces everything and she was like the newspaper editor and then like, newspapers start closing everywhere and she can't get a job so she takes a full-time job at starbucks because they have great benefits and carol leifer is a big starbucks fan you know she has like the black card or whatever right and um and then her friend who was like the screw up in college you know who didn't study and was like the party girl like has this idea for an app that gets sold to facebook and she makes like a couple million dollars and doesn't have to work so this woman who's like the barista is seething because she did everything right and she just wants to punch everything in the face. And then the idea that it's set in a coffee shop, you have your regulars and stuff like that. Right. So I thought that was all great and she pitched it and there was some interest, but it, nothing ever happened with it. But I had a good attitude about it. I'm like, I'm not going to really get too invested that this could happen. You well, know? how many people get a book that gets option for, or I don't know if that's the right verb, but gets interest for TV shows? I mean, I feel like that's really... I know, it's a book of essays like, like this. Yeah, yeah, it's like tapping into some zeitgeisty thing, you know? 
And there was even, um, again, I'm going to just name drop because whatever. I love it. <laughs> they were thinking like the barista gal, the main character would be like an Ellen Page type gal. Yes, yes. And Ellen Page's like manager or something, like they contacted and really liked it and showed it to Ellen and she was interested in it. But then a project she had actually like pitched, which she thought was dead came back to life so she was otherwise occupied and that kind of is where it just kind of went slowly into that good night now i know someone <laughs> you you're getting me i'm so excited about my my seven my six degrees of kevin bacon now <laughs> you're getting me that much closer to ellen page i now know someone who Ellen Page was interested in almost being in their TV show. I know. Isn't that fantastic? I'm really excited. My alter ego is Ellen Page. That's amazing. Isn't she incredible? Yeah. Did you see the footage of her, like, yelling at... Not yelling. Yes. She was, she was not Cruz? yelling. She was very assertive towards Ted Cruz yes. about talking about... It would be nice if... Anybody could get one of these candidates to answer a question with and actual she information. She's talking about gay marriage, right? I think so. Yeah. She's amazing. And then just her being, I mean, her coming out and then being on Ellen talking about coming out. She has a new movie coming out with Julianne Moore. And, I know. And she just, I just saw yesterday some um, editorial with like some amazing photos of the two of them for like W or some cool magazine. And there's also, when you say, talk about that, that reminds me, there's a new movie, Addicted to Fresno, which stars Natasha Lyonne and Judy Greer as sisters. I love Judy Greer. I know. And she is like my unsung. Natasha Lyonne's girlfriend is played by Aubrey Plaza. (laughs) And we're just, this this is what I do. This is what I'm like in real life is. This is like this amazing, explosion. this amazing like Hollywood thing that I saw on IndieWire. Oh my god, <laughs> that's just I love Judy Greer. I, I I wish she wasn't doing like phone commercials, but I do love her whenever she shows up as like the sister in like was it the village and <laughs> J Lo's coworker in the wedding planner or whatever. She is a I want to read her. She treasure. has a memoir. I think That's I just out. heard her on a podcast. Was she on Mark Marin? I don't know if she was on... Lake Bell was on Mark Marin this week. It was really good. Really but instead of talking about other podcasts, okay. we should probably get on one yes. <laughs> I guess that would be an intelligent thing to do. Um, what are, what, how do these... You say they have this bucket list of things that you want to punch. Do these things come to you with crystal clarity? You're like, okay... That's something I'm going to punch. Like, how do these ideas rise to the surface? I think there's, like, just kind of that um, itch of irritation about something. And the challenge, the beauty of the writing process is I don't know exactly why I'm irritated by something until I start writing about it. You have to unpack it. Yeah. I have to, like, really unpack it and suss out, like, what is it about Zumba that chaps my hide? (laughs) And I start thinking about it, and I'm like... It's like the mom genes of exercise. It's, you know, it's kind of like, hey, I'm kicky. I'm doing Zumba, you know? (laughs) There's even a vanilla ice ice baby video to Zumba, you know? That makes me hip with the cool kids. I'm going to put on my leotard and go do some Zumba. Um, So it's because it's like on the surface, it's like, you know, I have to do some like soul searching here. Like, why should that bother me? 
that the community center is having Zumba classes, you know? And then I'm like, it's, it's the, you know, 2013 version of Jazzercise, you know? I'm getting some exercise and I'm swinging my hips with some salsa music. I have not done Zumba myself, but I do have a Richard Simmons sweating to the oldies VHS tape that I sometimes exercise too. You know, I worked on a proposal with Richard Simmons. Shut up. Tell me all about it. And I went to his house. You went to Richard Simmons' house? (laughs) In the Hollywood Hills. Who are you? I am a, you know, I'm not a star effer, but I'm... I like to sidle up to them and get anecdotes about them. Um, yes. What was I, that like? I had worked on this proposal with him because he, you know, he's like kitschy, you know. Oh, he's like, great. He's a national treasure too. I mean, he's like Absolutely. a human Muppet, you know. Um, he's iconic. And so I was working on this kind of gift book idea that was like, you know, wit and wisdom or inspirational snippets from Richard Simmons and I could... I like to think visually, like what other graphic elements would be in there? Would there be like little sidebars or quotes? And I had talked to him on the phone and uh, I was out in LA for another reason, as people are sometimes. (laughs) And I went to his house and I got there before the agent did. So I went, it was like this beautiful white house, like dude, like takes care of his business, I think. Yeah. You know? So I ring the doorbell and he opens it. He is not wearing nut huggers, but he is wearing like a white sweatsuit with kind of like that Duran Duran Rio artwork. Yes. It might've been Madonna's face or somebody like with a t-shirt. And he he had like several Dalmatians who bum rushed me and sniffed me up and went into his place and he offered me pink lemonade and, (laughs) and he, as you may know, is a collector of dolls, of like I fine did not dolls. Know that. I think he had a line of dolls on one of the shopping networks for a while. So he has a room that was like just completely filled with dolls, like covering up the windows with like bookshelves with dolls on them. And the one disturbing thing about that room was not the dolls, but that like when I turned around from looking at the dolls, there's like a wall with like a fireplace, and above the fireplace was kind of like a Whistler's mother kind of painting. And I'm like, does he sit here at night and like wear, <laughs> wear, wear his hair shirt or something? Like, like there was something like almost like macabre about having this like painting there, you know. But he like had clearly beautiful like artisan things, like you know the hand blown glass chess set or something like that. And he read my aura. What did he say your aura? I don't was know what like. color my aura is, but he said. I would end up with an older man and that I chew up words. I like language. I'm a writer, so that probably was not a stretch. But you I had your aura read by Richard Simmons. And I am with a slightly older man now, so there Richard you go. Richard Simmons knew what he was talking about. Dude psychic as well as a money-making machine. <laughs> I'm so glad I made that <laughs> offhand comment about having that VHS tape. Did you see my eyes turn into pinwheels? Yes. It's amazing. <laughs> But that's a great segue, because we were talking about possibly doing a gifty book with Richard Simmons. So you are the New York Times bestselling author of over 25 
books, is that correct? And what are they and how did that happen? I have to I have to always like explain my like little like bio line. I am the New York Times bestselling author of The Worst Case Scenario Survival Guide of Dating and Sex, which I co authored. My other books, while many have sold well, are not New York Times bestsellers. Okay. So Thank you for that clarification. But I I did add up my books like recently because, you know, when you get writer's block, these are the things you do. You look at the word count on the document (laughs) and like add up all the chapters and see where you are in your memoir. Maybe that's just me. Um, But I started adding up all the copies of all the books I've written and they they do um, top a million copies. So that's kind of a cool statistic holy crap some books really carry the load there right you know the michael jordan of the book <laughs> you know they're carrying the team but nancy drew's guide to life which is you know i kind of conceived and wrote when i was working at a publisher um that has sold extremely well um the action heroines handbook which is all these like actual information how to do these skills you've seen in the movies like how to fake your death like julia roberts and sleeping with the enemy or how to climb on rooftops like crouching tiger hidden dragon (laughs) um or you know and and through that like how to seduce a millionaire i actually talked to patty stanger from the millionaires club before she got her tv show um I'm shaking my head in disbelief, which you can't hear, but you know that I'm doing that, dear and listeners. The coolest person I ever interviewed for one of these books was for the worst case dating and sex book was, um, the entry was how to, um, uh, escape from a bad date unnoticed. So we had to think of what kind of expert could weigh in on this scenario. Right. So I initially tried a magician <laughs> and... <laughs> He disappeared on me because he thought it was mean. And I'm like, okay. but you have to understand, like, this is in a situation where you do not feel safe. You right. know, it's not just like standing somebody up. So then I thought bigger and I was able to interview Anthony Mendez from the, like former CIA agent who Ben Affleck played in Argo. Shut up. Um, so I talked to him on the phone. And um, got a lot of great information about how to send somebody on a fool's errand and tips on how to disguise your appearance. And while I was on the phone, his wife fell down the stairs and he had to like leave and take her to the hospital. I'm like, am I going to be the alibi? (laughs) (laughs) I think I'm always thinking like conspiracy theories and stuff. Um, But that was actually like really cool. Like for that book, I interviewed a CIA agent, an FBI agent. There were a lot of like safety professionals and psychologists and psychiatrists for the dating and sex book. Not like just the fun people you would think. Right. But I also, um, for the action heroines handbook, I interviewed a dominatrix, which involved me having to go to a dungeon in old city, Philadelphia. And fantastic. It was so amazing. I was like scared to go there. I called the guy I was dating. I'm like, if you don't hear from me in an hour, like this is the (laughs) the dungeon. Yes. And you walk in and it's just like, they're just doing a job that most of them are sitting there like eating their chicken Caesar salad and then they have a client coming. So they go put on their PVC stuff and come back out. Um, but they showed me around and there was like the medical room, the little girl's room for sissification. Um, then there was like the Jade dungeon and the black dungeon. That's probably if they have multiple clients or something. Okay. But I learned how everyday items like binder clips can be used creatively and um, in one of the rooms, there was like the giant paper mache rabbit head for some reason. 
And the the woman I was interviewing, she's like, you should come with me on a humiliation, um, like with a client. I'm like, I think I would laugh during the whole thing out of like n- nervousness. And she's like, that would be fantastic. <laughs> and it was Did with like know? a lawyer. No, he canceled at the last minute because he had to go to court. Oh. But, you know, it's like, <laughs> and these women were like, we're professionals. We don't touch the men. They have to do whatever they want to themselves, you know, like, and they get paid really well and. They just found at an early age they were good at taking charge. So, power to them, you know? I'm like, in my head, I'm like, thinking about if I could do that. And I don't think that I could. I don't think that I could. But, again, more power to them. Yeah. There's a lid for every pot. I feel feel like I could play a dominatrix in a play, maybe. That would be fantastic. I could play a role for a little bit. But having that be a full-time job, I don't know. Maybe it was a part-time job for some of them. <laughs> but I left there feeling very empowered because it was kind of like role-playing. I was on the street thinking, for all these people know, I could be a dominatrix. Because I saw them in their alter egos and that, like, they're just wearing, like, a pink sweater. You know? Could be anybody. I went straight to, like, the shop and got, like, a handmade corset because I was, like, feeling really into it. You know? <laughs> That's an. I, Which where where do we go long, from here, Jennifer? It went, it went unused for a long time. Where but. do we go from here? We're talking about Richard Simmons and dominatrixes. I just don't even know. We needed to do something special for your 40th podcast. What? What is the 40th podcast? <laughs> Let's talk about the business of books. Yes, please. Tell me, what is the business of books and how can people find out about it and take your classes and things? <laughs> Thank you for asking. <laughs> um, uh, you know, kind of like book ideas, like the best ideas just come out of your own experience. So my friend, Carrie Colburn, who I um, met while working in publishing in the mid-90s here in Seattle, um, she and I kept getting these one-off questions from people like, hey, my neighbor has a book idea. Could you meet him for coffee? And so we were kind of giving like band-aid, we were band-aiding Seattle with like bits of information. Right. And we had this idea that we should really like put together an actual talk. And our first talk, we packed so much in there. It was like what we do now over a three or four week period in like a two hour talk. So we blew people's minds. Um, but we were on NPR that morning and like people said later, like I pulled over to the side of the road because I needed to get this information. We like doubled our attendance based on that appearance because people are just hungry for this information. And sometimes they're not even writers per se. They're just somebody who has this really good idea and they're like writing it in their off hours. And Seattle is just full of like smart, savvy people and a lot of readers too. So you know, we get a lot of those people in our classes as well as writers who, you know, have taken like creative writing, you know, MFA courses or programs and they come to us and say, we've never heard the word proposal right, in any of our classes. And so, you know, we both had worked in publishing. Um, I had been at Running Press in Philadelphia, which is a small independent publisher was now it's owned by a bigger publisher. And Carrie was at Chronicle Books in San Francisco. And so we had, you know, not only written as authors a lot of proposals, um, we had, my cat is like wandering around the table right now. (laughs) Um, 
we had reviewed countless proposals and so many of them were terrible or people would just send in a manuscript with like a cover know how letter. to do it yeah you know they there's this always this thought like this book needs to be out in the world i need to have my voice heard and not enough turning the lens around and thinking well what's in it for the publisher like you need to create a business plan to demonstrate to the publisher that this is going to be a profitable venture because they're in right. it to it's make business. money yeah. yeah even if they have like a lot of integrity and a mission about what they're publishing, they still have to sustain themselves. And um, so we set about putting together classes that taught people primarily how to put together a book proposal, all the different elements that go in it and breaking it down. So it didn't seem overwhelming because I think that people get tripped up and they're like, Oh my gosh, I, that I can't do that. That sounds like so much work. And it's like, well, if you write like your author bio one day and then the next few days you spend time going to bookstores looking at the competition to put a competing title section together that's not that hard and it's actually kind of fun and marketing you can just think of all sorts of crazy ideas to market your book you know like for things I want to punch in the face it was something as easy as coming up with this idea for a punch party where instead of me just doing a reading of like 10 things in the book I'll read a few and then I ask my friends to come and read their own rants and then invite anybody in the audience who happened to come to the reading to share their own rants as well, just kind of off the cuff. And we had a little game show um, where we gave prizes and we had punch naturally at the punch party. Mm -hmm. um, so it ended up being much more fun because it wasn't just me speaking, but it was more collaborative or participatory. And my friends got to kind of read their own stuff, which was really great. Um, and so just, you know, thinking of, I, different spins on how you can promote your book is going to look really attractive to a publisher because just showing that you're thinking about that sales piece and that, you know, writing the book is the first leg in this whole journey with a publisher. You know, there's a whole <laughs> promotion and, you know, right. keep, keeping that going. And unfortunately, in today's world, like the publicity and marketing departments are getting smaller and smaller and they have a short window to promote your book. And if your book doesn't like take off, they have to move on to the next book. That's just the nature of the business right now. So they rely on the author to partner with the, them in those, those pursuits. That was fascinating and informative. <laughs> if I wanted to find more information and I wanted to take a class, where would I go? You would go to bizofbooks.com, B-I-Z of books.com. And we're on Facebook under the Business of Books with Jen and Carrie. And we're on Twitter at Jen and Carrie. Um, and our classes are really fun. We get so much feedback that about people who are just like, I have hope now. Like you gave me tools, but also just like I'm inspired. It's you not know. scary anymore. It's, I can do this. It's so much more fun with Carrie and I doing it because we riff off each other. You know, like I say the inappropriate things and she rolls her, her eyes and says, oh, Jen, you know, <laughs> one more analogy to Internet dating, you know. So um, we make it actually kind of fun and um, it's not scary at all. And you leave like feeling like you have the tools to kind of power through, you know, that whole like proposal. And we tell you how to kind of put a submission list together so you're not wasting your time and you're more targeted and getting the right publisher for your book. Because the thing we always want to say is they're looking for you just as much as you're looking for them. 
you know, I think people think it's overwhelming, like every, you know, there's too many publishers and agents, I don't have a chance. They are looking for a fresh voice. That's why they get into publishing, not to make a lot of money, but to find you, you know? So hopefully. I'm inspired. Yes. To find a publisher now and to have them find me. I have to figure out what I want to write first, you know, that's the whole thing. But we talked about, you talked about punch parties Mm -hmm. a little bit, and there are a lot of punch parties coming up to celebrate the newly revised edition. Can you give me the rundown of all the places you're going to visit? Um, That's an excellent question. Um, I would love it if your listeners came out to a punch party. We're having one at Queen Anne Book Company up on top of Queen Anne. Um, I think September 27th, but it's later this month. 24th. 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 And then, because I put it in my calendar, because I'm gonna read something at I it. I know Katie's gonna be there, so you know that's another reason you to have come. to come. Yes, and I'm also gonna be at Village Books in Bellingham, which is an amazing bookstore. They are just super involved in the community. They help set up the Chuckanut Writers Conference, and they get really great writers. So I'm like super honored to be um, doing a punch party there. So if you're up in Bellingham, check that out. That's also later this month. And then if you happen to be in Charlotte, North Carolina, I'll be doing a punch party in October there. You don't know. You never know who's listening to this. Well, this is another like kind of tip. Like I have different travel things coming up that aren't related to my book, but I just let my publisher know what my travel schedule is. And if she can set up something while I happen to be in Charlotte, that's great. You know, and I'm going to be in San Francisco in December and Las Vegas in February. So you know, working with your publisher to try and um, uh, do things on a modest budget is always encouraged. <laughs> but Queen Anne Books is just a stone throw away from here, so I'm excited to go there. They always, like, have a great reception. I've never been. It'll be my first time at Queen Anne Books. It is so sweet. And right next door is El Diablo Coffee Company, and they have really great Cubano sandwiches and Cuban coffees and stuff, so get a coffee, come over, rant about something in Seattle. Like, for instance, the back, you know, back in angle parking on Queen Anne Avenue. Oh, my God. On a busy street. I can't street. do it. can't do it. I know. It's too much pressure. You can only do it if there's nobody behind you. I can barely parallel park, I mm. feel like. I can, especially if there's someone in the car. It's like, I can do it okay if I'm alone, but once there's someone in the car, then it becomes the most ridiculous thing ever. I love parallel parking. It's my jam. It's my jam. Yeah, we at the last punch party we had, we did this game, you know, punch or make out with. Okay. And um, it was like... I'm like, okay, let's play this game right now. (laughs) The three uh, contestants would have to guess on a long list of things if I wanted to punch them or if I wanted to make out with them. So... Parallel parking, they guessed punch, but it was actually make out. Yes. Um, Billy Joel, for example. I love me some Billy Joel, but as my friend Amy said, which Billy Joel are we talking it's about? true. Are we talking about like drunk crash your car in the Hamptons Billy Joel? No. Or are we talking about like, it's still rock and roll to me, Billy Joel? And I'm like, fair question. It's the only the good die young Billy Joel. Raccoons. Love them. You don't, love raccoons? I don't really want to make out with them, but I do love a raccoon. <laughs> I think he's my spirit animal. <laughs> So, um, I do love her. There were some things in there that like people have suggested I punch, and I'm like, no, I can't. I love it. You know? So, the thing about the, the book that I love is that they're so specific 
and they're the things that you don't really think of top of mind, but if you read it, you're like, oh yeah, that does bug me, you know? So I'm not punching Donald Trump or that yam bag in Kentucky who just went to jail today. For, I was know. like, yam bag? You mean Kim Davis. <laughs> yes, I mean Kim Davis. I don't even want to like give her power by saying her name. Um, yeah, so... They're too I'm, easy. I'm sorry. I can't get over they're the just, bag. They're That's just, amazing. They're just shooting fish in a barrel. You know, like I don't, I don't want to go there. It's so, like specific, and it's or Kim every, Kardashian or Justin Bieber, right? Like, no, but it's so it's but so just specific. It's from your point of view. No one else could write your things you want to punch in the face because it's specific, yeah, they, person to person. They might punch the topic thing, right? You know, the the subject I'm punching, but not the actual content or why I'm annoyed by year-round Christmas decorations or, you know, holiday stores, Christmas stores. <laughs> or already they're doing the Halloween. Already. I feel like I'm going, I don't know why I want to do a Jewish accent. It's like, already with the Halloween. Are you kidding me? <laughs> well, I feel like the back to school is now transitioning into the Halloween, right. which will transition into like, they just kind of skip over Thanksgiving and go straight to Christmas. But yeah, the people who say, it's getting earlier and earlier every year. And it's like, no, it's not. They still put out like after New Year's, like Easter stuff, you know, Gosh. you know, Valentine's Day stuff is a blip. You know, they go straight for those Cadbury eggs. I love me a Cadbury I egg. love the Cadbury <laughs> egg with the fondant yolk. You know? Yes. Yeah. The caramel eggs are mm. just not proportionally correct. I have to take a break to go have a Cadbury egg right now. <laughs> Kidding. So, where do you want people to buy the book? What's where would you suggest that they get copies? Um, I always suggest first and foremost going to your local independent bookstore. Um, and if that's inconvenient for you, or a lot of bookstores don't have a huge stock these days of books, there's this great site called IndieBound.org. Fantastic. Yeah, where you can order the book and it is delivered to your local bookstore and then you get a call when it's available and then you can pick it up in your neighborhood. So you can bypass the evil empire if you need to. But it is available for that pre-order. Must not be named. <laughs> yeah. It is available for pre-order on the the yeah, the site that shall not be named. Yeah. Yeah, I love We're that. We're just going to let you put that together. Yeah. Dear you, listeners. you have a very smart demographic, I'm sure. <laughs> Um, but you can find it in all the usual suspects. It's um, I don't know that it's in Urban Outfitters this time around, but um, you can find it at Barnes & Noble if you're perusing late night after being on a shopping jag somewhere, you know. Get you some, get you some Jennifer Warwick for the, for the coffee table. I feel like this is the perfect coffee table book. It is the perfect coffee That's table book. That's not like the picturesque one but a conversation starter totally and it's um 11.95 i think and what's great about it is it is such a good alternative to bringing a bottle of wine as a hostess gift for the holidays i love that idea because everybody starts talking about it right away and the the hostess doesn't get hosed by having everybody drink the wine <laughs> you know like she'll have something left to her so you can personalize it um, and it is a conversation starter. So it's like a fun thing to bring to a party. So it makes an excellent gift for people. Like it was amazing. Like people buy it for their like grandmothers and you, everybody has like a malcontent in their family. For the person you can't buy gifts for. If you have that awkward, the, the awkward conversation around the Thanksgiving table every year, you recreate that same dynamic. 
change it up, bring this book and like start talking about things you want to punch in the face and redirect your drunk uncle, you know, <laughs> to something that's like going to be amusing to everybody and not aggravating. This is amazing. You're, you're or like maybe that's solving just me. everyone's holidays. <laughs> I love it. It is. It's like a really inexpensive thing that's like a perfect thing to bring. And the, the original blog is still, like people can find it, right? Yes. And that's, um, it's one of those mouthful things I want to punch in the face dot blogspot dot com. Um, Excellent. Yeah. And for all the things about you, do you have, you have a personal website as well? Yeah, I'm inundating people with info. Just, and, and it'll be in the episode description, guys. Don't freak out. It's just jenniferwork.com. That's the easiest one of all. Like, I just went the path of least resistance on a website. So jenniferwork.com. You can find out about my events there, um, the Punch in the Face blog, any business of books stuff. That's the hub for it, all it, things it, Jennifer It work. is the hub. It's true. It's the Venn diagram. It all, like, meets in the middle there. So I thought it would be fun to close the podcast is... I'm going to read one of the essays and it's... Please, dramatic reading. It's about lumber sexuals <laughs> and the punch rating. I love this. It's from one to five punches. Is that mm-hmm. correct? Mm-hmm. Lumber sexuals uh, got three punches, three out of five punches. Um, so here we go. Please enjoy lumber sexuals. Everything old is new again. When I think about the resurgence of Canning or Michael Keaton's performance in Birdman, I can get behind this. But the lumber sexual isn't content with honoring the past. He has to turn it into artisanal, curated preciousness. Authenticity is swapped out for hipness. It's not enough for a lumber sexual to find a favorite barbecue joint and lick his fingers in spicy bliss. He has to amass a carefully curated collection of regional hot sauces and a deep well of knowledge on the best way to smoke a pork shoulder. And then create a YouTube video demonstrating the process using his GoPro and Final Cut Pro. How do you spot a lumber sexual, a subset of the modern hipster male? Well, if you live in Portland, just walk to the nearest corner. But for other regions of the country, a primer. Above the waist, it's all 1871 up in there. They might as well be in the big woods tapping maple trees with the Ingalls family. Beards so long that they look like levers. Just pull on one and watch the lumber sexual turn into a human nutcracker, one that could, in his facial hair, actually store nuts. Organic, roasted nuts, dust with curried sea salt. Obs. Obviously, that doesn't quite translate, but I'm, it's so good, I'm keeping the momentum. And then there's the plaid. Don't get me wrong, as a former Catholic schoolgirl, I cotton to plaid the way t- Taylor Swift seeks out high-waisted swimsuits. But I don't want to wear it six days a week, only swapping it out on laundry day for the graphic tee that says, I, <laughs> I shot the seraph. That's a good graphic tee. Below the waist, the lumber sexual is completely of the moment, outfitted either in spendy jeans so skinny he had to channel his inner teenage girl laying on the floor to get them zipped, or in saggy-ass goodwill denim that gives his suspenders a raison d'etre. Either way, it's neither attractive nor alluring. I don't want to get with you or even hang with you. I just want you to direct me to the nearest barn raising or the best creek for gold panning. So get on your fixed gear bike, the one with no brakes, and head for the hills. 
Find someone else to talk to you about your whiskey town bootlegs. Roll up your flannel shirt sleeve and show off your forearm tattoo of the butcher cuts of a pig to someone who cares about the difference between hawks and trotters because I am way too busy plucking, shaving, and waxing. Hair removal never gets old. Lumber sexuals, man. <sighs> This is the this is one of the most fun times I've had recording a podcast. Thank you for coming on. I can't wait for the event at Queen Anne Books on the twenty fourth, and I can't wait to see what the heck you do next. You and me both. You and me both. Stay you and me tuned. both, kid. Let's go. Let's go get some Cadbury eggs now, huh? Oh yeah. <laughs> They're probably out. Thank you so much, Jennifer. We're 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 being done now. I'm gonna stop. I'm gonna push. The record button and we're going to be done. Are we ready to let this end? I kind of want it. I think we could go for like hours and hours, but I think that could be a whole like thing that we could try sometime. Like a twenty-four an, hour an, podcast. Endur- <laughs> an endurance podcast, <laughs> and we could do it as a, a thon, a podcast a thon. Yes, yes. All right, coming soon, friends. Podcast a thon. <laughs> Woo.